Good morning, Harmony. And uh, I don't know what you're all riled up about. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. I thought the crowd left already just because I got up. That does happen sometimes, though. Glad you're here today. One of the privileges you have as pastors is uh, you meet many representatives of kingdom work from around the world. And um, you get to get close with some of them. And I found out in this case, this will be my last time probably doing this, uh, introducing a missionary. One of our representatives preaching the gospel in other places on your behalf. Right? So we appreciate them. And I always try to give... um, those who are good communicators, a chance to speak life into the church. And uh, so that's what we've asked them to do today. You better speak life or you're out. That's all. Expectations up here. I'm scaring them to death. Uh, Ended up in this case that uh, Susan Edwards and Kelly Ashley have some background together. Am I right? And uh, so they ended up being together. What a wonderful opportunity. We love having them in our homes and things like that. So this has been a great connection and perfect. Next time you're back, you got a place to stay. You see what I mean? Works out really well. I want you to give a warm welcome to our missionaries to Japan. We have two of them, but John and Sue Edwards, come on up. say, wow, 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 wow. This is the first time that we have been back in the States and we could belt it out and not be the only one singing loudly. So, oh, what a great time of worship that was. I I am just so blessed. I, I just can't, I really am. I'm really blessed today beyond measure. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, Before we start, uh, I wanted to first say, I don't have a headache this time, no migraine, I'm not flat on my back over there, so thank the Lord for that. Um, I also wanted to thank the Ashleys for hosting us, it was a great time of reunion uh, yesterday. Um, But for our focus today, I wanted to, John doesn't, uh, this came during when we're singing is about, or before, but God's faithfulness. It's not about us, it's about his faithfulness and working through us to do what we can do in Japan. Um, and as Pastor mentioned, we can't do this without you, our backer-uppers. And um, you're the ones that John will be preaching about that later, so I'm going to leave that alone. Um, but thank you. Uh, when we first left for Japan, we had a baby and a two-year-old. And now the baby is 28 and the two-year-old is 30. And uh, instead of me holding the baby, our, our daughter-in-law is holding a baby. So, yeah, we're... Uh, we kind of changed a little bit. Someone said, we well, haven't changed. Well, there you go. If you don't remember, I think maybe something's... Uh, anyway, we won't go there anyway. Okay, next slide. Here's David. Can't... Maybe it's a little further. Uh, he's our oldest. He, they live in South Carolina. They, um, he works for in the cellular phone industry, something technology, like that. Yeah, technology. Yeah. And uh, married to Amy. They have a two-year-old, and that was our grand, only grandchild that's kind of fuzzy down below. It's uh, Sunshine, uh, not Sunshine, sorry. Uh, Rosie, uh, that's our dog. <laughs> Their dog, so our grand puppy. Uh, and then our son Joshua, who was a baby, is now 28. 
He is also, he just moved back from Germany. He lives in uh, South Carolina as well. Just got a job. When we came back in June, he lived together with us. He was able to find a car. He was able to find a house and he was able to find a job and all of that. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. He is now settled in South Carolina and uh, has a good church that he continues uh, to be a part of that sponsored him and sent him to Japan and to Germany. Our daughter, Esther, uh, who was not with us when we first left, she is now 23. She's married to Andrew. He is also an MK, missionary kid. And um, his parents worked in Sapporo most of his, well, early childhood years, and they moved to another place called Abashiri. But it's in Hokkaido, the very northernmost island um, of Japan. And that's where he grew up all of his life. And so fluent and... Uh, they're in uh, Vancouver, Connecticut for five years, and then Canada. they... Oops, what did I say? Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Little mind left there. Vancouver. Canada. And, um, <laughs> and uh, they'll be there for five years for him to get his doctorate, and then they'll probably move to back to Japan. And uh, she wants to start a crisis pregnancy center there, and that's been her dream, so that's what she would like to do. Uh, we've been in Japan for 28 years. I think most of you know... Japan is in Asia. It's uh, kind of the northwest uh, part of the Pacific Ocean. And as you look at the map of Japan, you see on the, where it's all yellow, there's that northern island of Hokkaido. And then you have that long uh, kind of a, uh, elbow-shaped island, Honshu. Well, we've been the last eight years on the northern part of that island, and that's where you get to the colored section. We have lived in the yellow area. That's Miyagi Prefecture. But the yellow, the orange, and then the pink, um, you can go to the next slide. Uh, that's, that's the area that experienced the 311, 10 and a half years ago, the major triple disaster with the earthquake followed by the tsunami, uh, and then in Fukushima, the, the nuclear fallout. So it was after that disaster in 2011 that some of our missionaries moved up into that area, and we were among the first. We, we went in 2013 when we returned to Japan after a time in the States. And we've been working with a church uh, called uh, Tsubame Sawa Church. It was a church that used to be called Seaside Bible Church. But you can guess what happened to the Seaside Bible Church when a tsunami came in. Um, it was washed away. It's a miraculous story how the pastor and his wife, who lived in the church building on the second floor, how they were driving away from the shore and they could see the tsunami coming in the rearview mirror. So a, a tremendous story of deliverance. But uh, I'll let Susan share a little bit about our ministry with this church. Uh, and our <clears throat> One of the things that kind of changed when we moved up to that area is we found there was a great need and a desire for um, English teaching. And some of you might know that I used to teach at um, Harmony Christian School, and their kids are still doing well, which I'm very <laughs> thankful for. They were, <clears throat> my, they were the guinea pigs. I, that's when I first started teaching, and I just pray that they were good, and I'm glad to know they're well. <laughs> um, let's see. I lost my reply. <laughs> Okay, so um, one of the things was they really wanted English teachers. And in the beginning, when John and I first started out in Japan, we just did not want to do anything with English. We wanted to speak Japanese. We wanted to do everything in Japanese. But then we realized, you know, we are English speakers, and there is a need. And God can use us as a bridge to those people who would never go to church, would never hear anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we started... Um, 
saying okay to English teaching, and wow, it just kind of poof, morphed. Um, we had English uh, classes. It started off with two, then it grew to three, then four, then five, and then I said I can't do anymore. That, that's all. It was all in one day, so it was like really, whew. Um, I don't know how I did it five days a week. Anyway, um, so, yeah, that was one of our ministries there. Uh, at the church, there was also a cafe once a month that uh, the, the pastor's wife and I did, uh, partnered with and had a cafe, and people from the neighborhood would come in. Um, we had Bible study. There was a Bible study at church um, and different things, prayer meeting, that I could invite people to. So God just used that church um, in, in a neat way in our ministry as long as well as something else that John will share in just a little bit. Um, our neighborhood ministry, having kids come in and teach English, that was another day um, that I taught English there. And again, it started off with one, then two, then three, and kind of morphed there too. Um, but we also had opportunities to, to be at an um, after-school program. We went and found out that they were wanting people to come and help volunteer. Um, and this is one of the pictures where we um, read books in English and things like that and just played with the kids. And again, it was just... It wasn't necessarily, we didn't really, couldn't share specifically our faith in Christ. We could demonstrate our, our faith in Christ through loving the kids and, and the staff and encouraging them. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, I think... <laughs> One oh. of the ways that I, I discovered I could reach out into the community, and people who follow me on Facebook know this already, but uh, I would jog... Uh, and uh, I discovered if I left the morning at, left in the morning at 7:20, I would be able to catch the children for the next hour as they were walking to elementary school and junior high school. And so, uh, on a, on a, especially on when we lived in Iwakiri, um, I would the, the elementary school has a thousand children in it, and so I would easily see five or six hundred of those kids walking to school, and then there were 350 kids in the in the junior high school, and I would see them as well. Um, but we moved two years ago, and I found a new route with more junior high schools and new elementary schools to, to run by. But I also found this business was being built, a small office. It was a, a nonprofit. And after it was built, there was two people that would be in that office, and I would just call out, good morning, and, um, and no response. But after a while, this one time, the woman, her name is Sato-san, Mrs. Sato, she opened up the, the sliding door and she reached out, she, she yelled out, good morning. And so I did a U-turn and came back and introduced myself. And, and that became a routine that every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when I ran that route, I would come to the sliding door, open it up and yell, good morning. And we would talk. And the man there, his name is Suzuki-san, Mr. Suzuki. And his, I don't know exactly what his impression of Christians was. But he couldn't believe that I was not only a Christian, but I was a leader in a church, you know, um, because we would, we would laugh, we would converse, and I think his image probably is of Catholic priests in movies or something. I don't know what his image was. But when, when we left, I was able to give him a tract, and we are probably moving to a village that he's from, actually a near a village where he's from. And he said, John, when you come back, you have to tell me your address because I want to introduce you to my parents and to my brother. Uh, and, and so just, the, he's not a Christian yet, but the Lord works. And that jogging route was one of the ways that I was able to reach into the community and connect with people like Suzuki-san. 
And one thing about God's faithfulness is um, this last term, we have four, a four-year term, and right dead center in the middle, we, uh, the owners of this house um, said they're moving back from Sapporo and we needed to vacate the house. Well, move out. And um, so we had to find a new house, one big enough for our next ministry that we're going to tell, tell, you, tell you about. And God provided a house, just the perfect house for us, and it was only a three-minute walk from the church that we were working with down a steep hill. Um, and each time that God pr- provided, you know, those two different houses, he provided people for us in that neighborhood. And this is the, the one lady that I'm with. Um, just a neat relationship. We were walking buddies, and um, God just provided a, a really a neat friend for me and uh, being able to share life with her. And um, not a believer yet, but uh, again, I don't know how many of you, before you became a believer, there were other people, other Christians in your life. And we kind of see it as a long chain link uh, because in our ministry, you don't find a person that just, you know, heard the first time and believed. There's many links in the chain that brought them to Christ. And so we're one of those links and somebody else is connected with her that is another link that we believe that, you know, he will bring um, these people to himself. Um, our next ministry, and I don't know how much time we have, so we'll, yeah. the the uh, next ministry is eight years ago. We started what is called the D House or Discipleship House Ministry, and it's an internship for English speakers who are interested in cross cultural ministry, are thinking about long term ministry, uh, specifically in Japan. So we've had twenty three interns who have come, mostly from America, but also from Canada, Australia, and. Uh, Hong Kong, and actually one girl came from Germany, um, and and these twenty somethings, mostly twenty somethings, live with us for twelve weeks. They learn about life. They learn about survival. How do you shop? How do you do your laundry? How do you clean? Uh, all those kinds of things. But then they also do the other ministries with us: church ministry. They they do the community outreach ministry. We go into the city. Sunday is a city of a million. We just go and walk down or sit in McDonald's or something and make conversation with people. So um, the, the internship, I, I wish I could tell you stories about some of the interns, but we have, we have five that are coming back to Japan, three with Send and some others with different missions. But it's just exciting how the Lord continues to send workers into the harvest field into Japan. So again, just God's faithfulness. Um, there's another story that I hope to tell you. If I don't tell you, just think of think of a Visa gift card, and I can tell you that story later. But thank you for, you for your faithfulness as well here in uh, Middletown. <laughs> okay. As we look toward going back to Japan, you can go back to that O-Town. Um, slide. As we look forward to going back to Japan, we are probably not going to go back to Sendai. We are probably going to be moving uh, west and slightly north into the neighboring prefecture of, of Yamagata. And there is a, a town of 14,000 people. And that town does not have a single church in it. Uh, there's two or three uh, Christians that we met uh, that live there, but the, the nearest church is 10 miles away in the in the town of Murayama, south of it. And we found out that that, that church south of it, Shion Christ Church, is, is trying to, to reach out to Obanazawa to evangelize. And we 
earlier this year during COVID when we couldn't have any interns, we decided to explore different towns to see what kind of ministries they were doing. And we found out about Obanazawa and about Shion Christ Church. So we just went unannounced on a Monday morning uh, and, and walked in and introduced ourselves and asked, uh, you know, how are you reaching out to this town? How can we pray for you? And the, the man who was there was a deacon. He was changing the light bulbs. Um, he said, let me call the pastor. Called the pastor. Again, the same self-introduction, all in Japanese. And, and it was kind of an awkward conversation. And finally, the pastor said, I, I'm sorry if this is awkward, but yesterday, Sunday, the leaders of the church, we had come to the conclusion that the best way for us to reach Obanazawa is if we can find a missionary who will move there and live there. And uh, so, so anyway, he said, could you spend the night and can I meet you tomorrow? And so we spent the night and went the next day and the pastor was there, his wife was there, some leaders in the church were there. They had a PowerPoint presentation already. It was the history of the church, the vision for reaching this town. And so we are praying about being that missionary couple to live in Obanazawa or O-Town. I call it O-Town for Americans. Obanazawa is not one of those words that flows out of the, the mouth. But pray for Obanazawa, for O-Town, and pray for us that we would be able to discern uh, the Lord's direction in working with this, this church of Shion Christ Church to reach, to reach the town of Obanazawa. Uh, thank you. Um, I'd like to open up the word now. Yes. And... Uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus 17, uh, verses 8 through, through 14. Exodus 17, 8 through 14. Before I read that, let, let's pray. I'll pray in Japanese and then, and then in English. はい。愛されてのお父様、ありがとうございます。私たちを深く愛してくださって心から感謝します。神様今、私たちの耳、私たちの魂を開いてください。教えてください。Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so deeply that you have saved us. Now, Lord, I pray that you will open up our hearts, you will open up our, our ears to receive what you have for us. Please teach us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 17, 8 through 14. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hands up the Israel, that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. This is a rather brief episode that, that happens and not too long after the Israelites have 
been led out of Egypt, out of slavery. And they're on their way to uh, the promised land. And in some ways, that's kind of our journey, isn't it? That each of us is born into this condition of slaves. We're slaves to sin. Uh, in John chapter 8, I'll just read one verse, verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And that, that's our natural state of being. But then there's a journey when we escape, when we are released from that, that uh, condition of sin, we're on a journey to the promised land. And uh, most of us have left that state, I think, of slavery to sin. Most of us have known that we are redeemed by Jesus Christ, that he has made the way for us. But we haven't gotten to the promised land yet. Well, I mean, we're part of the kingdom of God. It's the church. It's all the believers worldwide. But we haven't gotten to that promised land. And that is heaven. And, uh, and where we are in the journey, we don't know. Mostly we don't know because we don't know when we're going to die. Or we don't know when the Lord is coming back. And so are we early in it? Are we late in it? Of course, if you're an older person, you can guess you're probably closer to the, uh, to the promised land. If you're a younger person, you might have a few more decades before you get there, depending on when the, when the Lord gets back or when he, he calls you home. But we're all, we share that. We share that journey from sin to getting to be face-to-face with our Savior and with our God. One of the uh, things, I didn't read it, but the very opening verse of this chapter, Exodus 17, verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. But that phrase, journeyed, and then according to the command of the Lord. Their journey was in obedience to what the Lord was telling them to go. And that, again, is also our journey. None of us are on the same journey. We're on the big picture same journey from sin to the promised land. But, for example, right now, here we are, we're in harmony. And uh, Susan was here for two years. It was a relatively short amount of time that she taught at the school here. And then because of your support of us, we get to reconnect regularly here, regularly being once every four years or so. Um, But we have this connection. Some of you, some of you have been in this area and been connected to this church for decades. Others of you, it might be a matter of weeks. And how long you will be here? What will be this chapter in your life? I don't know. My, My wife and I, well, neither of us dreamed of going to Japan. Uh, that, that wasn't my thinking at all. I wasn't going to be a veterinarian. I was going to live in upstate New York. I grew up in Windsor, and I love Windsor, and I thought that that's where I would always be. I won't share the testimony of how the Lord directed me to Japan, but, but it was me simply obeying step by step by step. And I ended up in Japan, this place I never dreamed and prayed about. Lord, send me to Japan. But he sent me there, sent me with Susan, and we feel like we're where God wants us to be for this time in our life. Will we be there until we retire? I can't answer that. I can't. But we'll just keep continuing the journey by obeying, step by step by step, just as you are in your own situation. Um, continuing on in this chapter, 
something unexpected happens. They've, they're, they're, they're in a relatively good place. They've gotten out of Egypt. You know, God performed the, the, the miracles, the ten plagues that finally brought Pharaoh to the point of letting the people go. And, and that, that final one, that one of the Passover, the death of the firstborn, and how the Israelites put the, the blood on the doorway and the death angel passed over those households. But the Egyptians who do not put that blood up lost their firstborn animals and their firstborn children. I'm the firstborn in my family. If I had been in that culture and if I had been Egyptian, I would have been one that the death angel took. But, now, but then, then as, they, as they left, Pharaoh changed his mind. They had the Dead Sea. God miraculously gets them through the Red Sea and destroys the Egyptian army. And then they had a problem. The people wanted meat to eat. They wanted food, and there wasn't a lot of food. And God miraculously provided quail for meat and the manna, the, the I don't know what it is, bread every morning. And then earlier in this chapter, there's no water. And God provides water from a rock. So now they're at a place where things seem good. Their needs are provided for. They're no longer being chased by an enemy. They're on their journey, on their way to the, to the promised land. And then something unexpected. Something unexpected happens. But even this episode that we read about is just probably two days. Probably two days. And then there's going to be a whole lot more that's going to happen that we know about that they didn't know about. Even in the very next chapter, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is going to come and give some advice about leadership, about delegating some leadership responsibilities. And they haven't even gotten to Mount Sinai yet. Moses hasn't even received the law of the Lord yet. They're going to be receiving that, which is going to be a very key part of Israel's development as a nation. They haven't gotten to the border of the promised land. They haven't sent in the spies. The 12 that go in, the 10 that come out and say, oh, we can't go in there. And the two, Caleb and, and uh, Joshua, say, yes, we can. And yet the people rebel and don't go in. And so they end up, gonna, they're going to wander for 40 years. They don't know about that future that's ahead. They're in this wonderful place. Their needs are provided for, and they're in this hopeful journey. And then there's this unexpected. There's this unexpected attack where the, Amal the Amalek and, and uh, some of his raiders come and, and attack the Israelites just at a time when they think they can relax, they can be at peace. I don't know if you look back over your life, if you've had a time like that where things seem to be going pretty well and then something unexpected happened. I mean, for all of us, there's COVID. You know, we've all got the COVID thing. And maybe before COVID, life was going super well. And then this came and it just shook things up. Um, but maybe there's been something outside of COVID. Uh, it's a separate story that I won't bring up, but... But uh, our oldest son got very, very depressed and was a point of, of being suicidal. And we were at a place very content with ministry in Japan. And that shook us up. And we came back to the States for a few years. Uh, looking back on it, 
God was faithful. As Susan keeps bringing out, God was faithful. But it came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere, just like this attack did. Amalekites, I kind of looked up a little bit of who the Amalekites were, and it's interesting. They're actually distant cousins of the, of the uh, Israelites. They're descendants of Esau. And of course, Esau and Jacob were the twins um, born to, uh, to Isaac. And so here they are, you know, descendants of, of Esau attacking their own distant kin. And then Rephidim, I tried to find out where Rephidim was. And because we're not quite sure where Mount Sinai is, we can't quite tell where Rephidim is. There's a little bit of disagreement of which mountain is, uh, is, is Mount Sinai. But it's between the Red Sea and wherever Mount Sinai is, is where, where Rephidim is. Um, Moses, being a very good leader, there's this crisis, there's this attack. Moses has a plan, a very simple plan. It's written in verse 9. Moses says to Joshua, Choose men for us and go and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow, I will stand myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And then verse 10 is carrying that out. Uh, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, her went up to the top of the hill. What I find fascinating is verses 11 and 12. Because this is a description of the battle. So, it came about when Moses held his hand up and Israel prevailed, that Israel prevailed, and when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. Anything interesting about that battle description? Like Joshua's not mentioned? Like the army's not mentioned? Like the weapons aren't mentioned? Formations, number of soldiers? None of that is mentioned in the description of this, the battle. The, the focus is completely on, well, I mean, it's on three men on a hill, but more specifically, it's on Moses' hands. It's on his hand and this, Staff of the Lord, the staff of God. And, and so it's interesting that there's no victory without Joshua fighting the, vic- fighting the battle. But there's no victory without Moses. And yet in this passage, the focus is completely on Moses and the staff of God. Now the staff of God, for a relatively short time... It is to the Israelites the power of God. When they see the staff of God, they know that God is going to do something great. And, and Moses knows it. You know, he saw the, the burning bush and he, and he took his own staff and took it, put it down. It became a snake, picked it up. It was a staff again. Again, it was a staff that he took before Pharaoh. And the, the plagues were started when Moses did something with that staff. And, and then when, when they got to the Red Sea and Moses held it out, the, the staff, the, the staff he, he hit the rock with and the water came out, that was the power of God. That's what the people saw. This is the power of God. But 
when you're in the situation, imagine, first imagine being in Moses' place. You're, you're standing over, you can see the valley below, and you're holding out the staff. But whenever your arm drops, you can see the battle is no longer going well for, for Joshua and, and for the Israelite uh, fighters. What must he have been feeling when he's holding it? Have you ever held anything out for a long time? How long can you do it? <laughs> the other day, Susan was driving and somebody called and I was trying to hold the phone to her ear. <laughs> I think I lasted about two minutes before it's like, uh, Susan, let's pull over, you know? And that was just a, a cell phone. But holding out that staff, and this is going to, it goes until sunset. So Moses probably had several times where he's holding it up and his arm goes down, it goes down, it goes down, and he sees the impact it's having and he's, you know, trying to hold his own arm up and down, 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 and it's not going well. And, and finally they have the great idea of giving him a seat and then the guy's holding up his arm so he can have that staff held out. Joshua's harder. Can Joshua see Moses or not? I don't know. It doesn't say. Um, but if he can see Moses, how frustrating it would be. You know, Moses, your, your, your job was to hold up the, the staff. We're fighting down here. You know, our lives are on the line. You're safe up on the hill. And you can't hold it up. How frustrating. On the other hand, if he couldn't see the frustration of what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? We're fighting with all our might and the Lord is supposed to be with us. He gave us this plan and we're losing. And so when I, when I see that episode, when I think of those two, two men, they, they were intertwined completely and yet each of them struggled individually because they didn't necessarily know about the other and what they were facing. Who was more important of the two? You know? Neither, right? Which is the more important role? Susan and I, as missionaries, we often put ourselves in Joshua's position. You know, we're over in Japan where maybe a quarter of 1% of the people are Christian, where the battle is against... Uh, a mindset, a culture that has so many Shintoist and Buddhist practices that are just enmeshed into the culture. We're, we're in a, a culture where the Japanese value conformity. And so if you were to be a Christian, you are no longer conforming to the ideal of what it is to be Japanese. Um, and then we're in a culture that's a relatively rich nation. And so all the things that you can do with wealth and money and entertainment and shopping distracts people from even considering heart needs, um, this life and, and what it can be all about. And in that scenario, you're, you're Moses. For over 30 years, this church has been holding up the staff. You have been praying for us. Some of you who don't even know us have been praying for us. And... And, uh, and you've been giving to us that we can stay there. But the opposite is also true. Susan and I do follow the news here in America. We've been gone for five years. 
America has gone through quite a bit in five years. Um, we were here until Trump was elected. Uh, we were not here for any of his term. Uh, he hadn't even been sworn in when we, when we left. So you've had that, you've had COVID, you've had all sorts of battles that have been going on. Um, Black Lives Matter and, and Blue Lives Matters and just, just all sorts of things that have been happening. And that's big picture stuff. And then in your own individual lives, in your workplaces, in your school places, in your communities, in your households, you have been fighting battles that we're not even aware of. And in those cases, Susan and I have been holding up the staff. We have been praying for you as a church. Not many of you as individuals, we haven't known your names to pray for you. But as a church, we have prayed for you as you have fought the battle. There's a... Prayer is hard. Honestly, I, 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 I tell people that I, I, can, I can run an hour in the morning. Really, no problem. I, can, I, can, I might not be running fast, but I can run an hour in the morning. But praying for an hour is much more difficult. Much more difficult. I can read a book for an hour. I can walk for an hour. I can stroll for an hour. I can watch a movie for an hour. There's so many things that I can do for an hour almost no sweat and yet prayer for something about prayer that truly is hard for most of us to do and yet it's so essential there was a man he was a missionary right after world war ii started ken clark he's still alive he's 90 i think he's almost 98 and uh, he started the youth ministry that we had been a part of in japan for 12 years high ba he used to say all the time when we work we work when we pray, God works. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And evangelism is God working. Evangelism is God working in the hearts and souls of people. We can't change hearts and souls. We can do things to point them to Christ, but we, you can never change a person's heart and soul. And uh, that, that's the work of prayer. That's the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, one final thing, in verse 14, it says... God told Moses, write this down in a book and be sure to recite it to Joshua. Joshua needs to know that God gave the battle. God gave the victory. And we need to be reminded that as well. I want to thank you. I'm going to tell you, Sato-san, Suzuki-san, Akiko-san, so many other peoples, they are being changed. They are being led toward the Lord because of your prayers. Thank you. Let me close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for the journey that we're on. I thank you that you have given us a way out of slavery to sin. And I thank you that all of us are going to be reunited in heaven, in your presence. Lord, I pray that you will help us day by day to continue to live boldly um, in obedience to what you are commanding us. And Lord, I pray that you will help us Help us to fight the battles as Joshua and as Moses. Help us to believe in you. Help us to believe in prayer to the point that we do it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.